Alright, good morning. Welcome to Temple Baptist Church. Take your song handouts. Page 424. O come, all ye faithful. Come let us adore him. What a great way to start out church today as we think about adoring our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is basically our Christmas service, last Sunday service before Christmas. I know it's about six days away, but uh, it's really neat to look out and see all of the green and the red and all of the, um, I guess, festive colors. And uh, looking forward to be here, being here in church. Well, looking forward. We are here in church. I'm looking forward to what the Lord has for us as we have come to worship and adore the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's continue here on the second verse of this uh, Christmas carol. Sing chorus of angels, sing in exultation. next song page 178 the bible stands but we're going to make a little bit of a change here on the first line it says the bible stands we're going to change that to the king james stands and then a little later down in the chorus it says the bible stands we're going to sing the king james stands and then on the very last line there at the very end where it says for the bible stands we're going to say the king james bible stands we're going to go ahead and play through it once I'll kind of sing along, follow along, and then we'll sing the whole song together, okay? The King James stands like a rock. 
Through the raging storms of time Its pages burn with the truth eternal That they go with the light sublime The King James stands though the hills may tumble Firmly stand when the earth shall crumble I will plant my feet Firm foundation for the King James Bible stands. All right, you guys did pretty good. Let's go ahead. We'll start out there on the first verse again, and we'll sing the whole song through. Here we go. The King James stands like a rock, undaunted mid the raging storms of time. Its pages burn with the truth eternal, and they glow with the light sublime. The hills may tumble, it will firmly stand when the earth shall crumble. I will plant my feet on its firm foundation for the King James Bible stands. The King James stands like a mountain towering far above the works of men. Its truth by none ever was refuted and destroyed, yet they never can. The King James stands, though the hills may tumble, it will firmly stand. Earth shall crumble, I will plant my feet on its firm foundation for the King James Bible stands. The Baptist, it will forever when the world has passed away by inspiration it has been given all the precepts i will obey the king james stands though the hills may tumble it will firmly stand when the earth shall crumble i will put my feet on its firm foundation for the king james bible stands the King James stands, every test we give it, for its author is divine. By grace alone I expect to live it and to prove it and make it mine. The King James stands, though the hills may tumble, it will firmly stand. When the earth shall crumble, I will put my feet on its firm feet. For the King James Bible stands. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Brother Glenn, I like that song. I tell you what, I am not ashamed of my Bible. And I certainly hope that you are not as well. And some people, you know, when you start talking about King James, uh, people nowadays, it's like, why are you making such a big deal out of it? Well, because it's the words of God. And um, we've got the pure... Uh, unadulterated, unchanged words of God, and uh, that ought to be something that we rejoice in. And uh, so I'm thankful for that, so appreciate that song, Brother Glenn. All right, well, you might have noticed in the pastor's parking lot, there is a brand new Dodge four-wheel drive pickup. That is my Christmas present from my son, Josh. For Christmas, is he a great guy or what? For Christmas, he let me drive his truck to church. <laughs> I told you they'd get a kick out of it, son. <laughs> yeah, anyhow. Yeah. 
it's a sweet truck. Yeah, it's it's a really sweet truck. It's actually yeah, I could I only drove it 1.1 miles, but already there's all these little neat bells and whistles and all kinds of things. And uh, on the windshield, it actually is telling you the speed limit that you're going. I mean, it's like a holograph on the windshield. But the only problem, and you probably already know this, it's got the little um, symbol, like the, the signs for the speed limit. It, it's not right. It's, it'll, it'll get you a ticket because coming down Chipley Ford Road, it's saying the speed limit's 55, and I'm going... But the speed limit's actually 35, so... Anyhow, but then when I turned on a museum road, it's saying it's 20, and the speed limit sign there says 25. So I don't know. It's either going to get you in trouble with an impatient driver behind you, or it's going to get you in trouble with a state trooper uh, or a uh, female police officer. Oh, no. They will give you a ticket, by the way. All right, moving right on along. By way of announcements, Wednesday at 7, we've got Bible study. We're in the book of Proverbs. We've also got master clubs for three-year-olds to the sixth graders. And then our youth group meets on Wednesday evening as well. And then uh, this coming Saturday is Christmas Day. We will not have our normal ministries, we'll not be having street ministry, we'll not be having prayer meeting that evening, and so we encourage you to spend time with your family and enjoy time with your family. And let me just say this, this is not my message here this morning, but uh, I've been around people and ministry long enough to know that uh, a lot of times holidays and different special events, everybody's getting together. And let's face it, when you get a bunch of people from different families and different homes and different personalities and lifestyles and so forth, you put them all together and sometimes you end up inadvertently with some conflict. And I just want to encourage you, um, you know, a lot of family conflict, when it's all said and done, you just look at it and you go, was it, was it really worth it? And so I just want to encourage you to love your family. It's the family that God gave you. And sometimes we think that, well, you know, I'm better than my family. The truth of the matter is, no matter who our family is, we probably deserved worse. And so just be thankful for the people that the Lord put in your life. And uh, and uh, take the high road and just try to make the best of it and just enjoy people for who they are. All right, that's not a sermon, but it's certainly on my heart this Christmas time when you look around and you just see so many families that are um, filled with uh, discord and division. Uh, other than that, tonight or this morning after the service, we'll have our traditional treat bags for everyone. And so um, uh, we should have extra. It just depends on, um, I, I think it looks like with the crowd that we've got today, there should be some extra. So uh, go through the line, get your bag, and then if there's some left over, we certainly uh, don't want Brother Terry to take them all home. Right? Where's Miss Carol at? Amen, sister? But uh, anyhow, we want uh, we want people to enjoy those. So if you want to hang around and get an extra or take one to someone then uh, just make sure that you give everyone that's here today a chance to get theirs. And then also one last announcement, and that is December 29th. That is a week from this Wednesday 
is our annual business uh, slash budget meeting. We do have copies of the proposed budget out on that rack in the foyer, the information center. And so uh, if you're a church member, be sure and grab one of those. If you have any questions about the proposed budget, be sure and let myself or one of the deacons know uh, before the business meeting, and we'll be happy to uh, try to answer your question. All right, let's sing our last hymn on the back of your handout, Silent Night, Holy Night. Oh, tidings of God. 
yesterday and spent uh, Christmas with Sister Lynn's family, and uh, then, of course, uh, Josh and Spencer followed us back to the house, spent the night with us, and sure happy to have my son and daughter-in-law in church with us here this morning. Had a great time with family. We had uh, a great supper yesterday evening at um, the country club that Josh is a member of, and they had live carolers, and so uh, you guys did just as good as them, and so maybe you can get a gig at a country club somewhere. Only they had, uh, one of them had like a little tambourine thing, and the other one had looked like a little mini bongo drum. Next time, yeah, that might be good. <laughs> the sign of the apocalypse. <laughs> All right, Matthew chapter number one this morning, Matthew chapter number one. This is a um, this is a rework of it's kind of just the basic gist of a message I preached seven years ago. I know I've shared with you that sometimes for pastors these special event sermons it's very difficult to preach on basically the same thing year after year and after a while you just all it's like how do you say the same thing just a different way and so. This year I thought, well, why reinvent the wheel? I'll just maybe put a little bit newer hubcaps on the same wheel. So that's the best way I know to describe it here this morning. Matthew chapter number 1, and we'll begin in verse number 18. What I want to talk to you about here this morning is the meaning of Christmas. The meaning of Christmas. Christmas means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And of course, we're going to see here from the scripture what the meaning of Christmas ought to be. But wouldn't you agree that the way that people use words, when you go to the dictionary and you look up what the word mean, wouldn't you agree that not everyone who uses that word uses it with the exact dictionary definition? So sometimes you can say, well, this is what it's supposed to mean, 
but that doesn't mean that that's what it means to you. And so the way that we find out what it's supposed to mean is we go right back to the start, the origins, and we come back to our creator and the author of this book, and we see what he has to say. Matthew chapter number 1 and verse number 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. The meaning of Christmas. Join me as we pray and ask that the Lord would bless our time together here this morning. Lord, we come to you now in the name of Jesus Christ. and. We thank you, Lord, for these that have come to church today. We thank you also for everyone that is listening through live stream, for everyone that will listen to this message, whether it be downloading a sermon from our website, whether it be accessing this live stream through uh, the internet, whatever the case may be, we ask your blessings upon each heart that listens to this message. We ask your blessings upon uh, the messenger. Lord, help me to um, bring this message with clarity, uh, with compassion, Lord, with a desire to please you, with a desire to help. And Lord, above all, we pray for the anointing and the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we don't want to waste our time here today. We don't want to go through the motions. We We want you to meet with us. And Father, we've gathered here and uh, Lord, it just sure would be a blessing if you would meet with us and make this a special day for each and every one of us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I find that with every passing year, and I hesitate to say this because I don't want my cover to be blown, especially with my misses, but with every passing year, I find myself getting a little more sentimental than usual. Uh, I didn't grow up necessarily in a sentimental home and in a sentimental atmosphere, but I do find myself getting more and more sentimental. Somebody please call the doctor. <laughs> you talk about getting shots and vaccinations, sometimes being over-sentimental. It's like, man, give me a vaccine for that, because while you enjoy sentiment, uh, there's, there's a backlash from that too. For everything you're sentimental about, uh, eventually it's going to create uh, some tears and some heartbreak. But seriously, Christmas is a special time for all of us, a time of memories, and just uh, it's just different than the rest of the year. And we'll say more about why it's different or why it should be different here in just a moment, but 
I'd like to just say this because it's on my heart this year, and that is this. Our heart, and I speak as a church congregation, not just from my personal perspective, but our heart goes out to every one of you who have uh, recently lost loved ones because we know that this can be an especial uh, struggle during seasons like this. And so our heart, our love, and our prayers are certainly toward each and every one of you, regardless of the nature of your relationship with the loved one, whether it was a spouse or parents or sister or brother or uh, children, whatever the case may be, our heart certainly goes out to you here today. And I'd like to just just throw this in really for free because sometimes we are overwhelmed by our emotions at times like this, but the answer to our problems is not an emotional solution. It's a rational solution. And so let me just say this before we move on. Keep plowing forward. Uh, keep doing the best that you can to look ahead rather than looking behind. Make as many new memories as you can. Continue to cherish the old ones. But remember that the most meaningful sentiment is the things that we have only read about in this book right here. The most precious and sentimental things are things that haven't happened to us yet. Heaven, being with Jesus Christ, the eternal blessings that God has in store for each and every one of his children. And so when we get to heaven, all of the things that meant so much to us here on earth, it's just going to dissipate just like a little bit of steam coming out of the tea kettle, and it's just going to be, you're going to see it, and it's just going to go poof, because it's going to be overwhelmed by things that are much more precious than the things that are precious to us today. I'm not minimizing how precious that people and family and friends and memories are to us. I'm just simply saying, keep plowing forward and do the best that you can to make some new memories. Our text that we read today reveals four things about the true meaning of Christmas. The first we find in verse 18 through verse number 20, and that is the divine nature of Jesus Christ. When I say the divine nature, Jesus was and is God manifest in the flesh. He was not just a good man and a good prophet or a good teacher. He came down to this earth, and the Bible tells us clearly that he was God manifest in the flesh. He has a divine nature. He is and was virgin born. In Isaiah 7, verse number 14, the prophet said, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And of course, we see that in our text in verse 23. We see the description of it that Mary was found with child of the Holy Ghost. It was before her and her espoused husband had come together. And so it was a divine and a miraculous birth. 
Joseph had something in his day. In fact, look at verse number 19 again. It says that Joseph, being a just man, was not willing to make her a public example. And so he, he was, he was planning on just putting away Mary privately, breaking off the espousement, the engagement, we would probably say in modern terms, just breaking that off, not giving it a bunch of attention or fanfare. He, he, he loved Mary, and when she showed up pregnant, he, he didn't want to make her a public example. Wouldn't you agree, and, and, I, and I don't want to be too negative here today, but wouldn't you agree that there was something in Joseph's day that is lacking in today's culture, and that is public reproach for things that are wrong and sinful? Uh, we're definitely living in a day and age where cohabitation and unwed pregnancies are no longer considered a reproach because they've become so common. And folks, uh, from God's perspective, and especially from a Christian's perspective, those things ought not be so. And so there was a public, uh, there was a public reproach for things like this. I don't know that that will ever return to our culture today, but let me remind all of us that though the whole world goes in the same direction, if it's not the direction of God and the Bible, then it's the wrong direction. And as God's children, we certainly need to be followers of God and not of men. I read about 97% of evangelical Christians accept the teaching of the virgin birth of Jesus. But only 70% of mainline Protestants believe that Jesus was actually born of a virgin. Now, you say 70%, that's a pretty good percentage. I got news for you, the 97% of evangelicals is not a good percentage, the only acceptable percentage for a Christian would be 100% because if Jesus was not born of a virgin, then what would be the point of our Christianity? It would become nothing more than cultural or philosophical or trying to, to appease man rather than following the Word of God. I think back to one of our founding fathers of our nation named Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson did some great things as one of our founding fathers. And certainly, uh, no one can argue with his influence and his writing of the Declaration of Independence and his influence over the Constitution of the United States as well as the Bill of Rights. Tremendous man of influence. Brilliant philosopher, brilliant politician, but yet we find that Thomas Jefferson was a man who wrestled with his own beliefs. He kept his views extremely private. And it wasn't until later years in his life that people began to know a little bit about his personal religious beliefs. For in his later years, he took and actually, he, he, he kind of made his own Bible. And he took the Gospels and everything that had to do with Jesus Christ, and this is what he did. 
Uh, whether it be, whether it was with scissors or a penknife or whatever the case may be, he actually took and cut out all of the parts of the Bible that were centered around the life of Jesus and assembled them all into his own private Bible, but he left out anything and everything around the life of Jesus that contained anything miraculous or supernatural, including the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Thomas Jefferson did not believe in the virgin birth. Now, while we owe him a lot of gratitude for the religious freedom that we are enjoying today, I would have to say by his own testimony, I don't expect to see Thomas Jefferson in heaven. I believe that he used the Bible as a moral and a philosophical standard of life, but obviously he certainly didn't believe in Jesus the way that that I believe, and I hope I can say the way that you and I believe, because our faith is dependent upon the virgin birth of Christ, and it is dependent upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and without those supernatural divine events, then our faith is totally in vain. Interesting that Brother Glenn led us in a song, and instead of just using the generic term of Bible, he used the the term, he led us in saying the King James Version. Now, listen, I, I think anybody that knows this church and this preacher and our founding preachers, Brother Wilson and Brother Pennell, I think it's obvious in our community that this is a church that stands for the King James Version of the Bible. We believe it's the pure words of God. And when we think about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, rather than get uncomfortable with us talking about that, like we're getting ready to be divisive or hateful or narrow-minded about that, let me present some facts to you here this morning, some things for you to think about. The One of the first versions that became popular after the, the King James Bible had been accepted for uh, literally several hundred years, and then all of a sudden these, all these modern versions started cropping up. But the Revised Standard Version, it, 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 I want you to notice here that Isaiah 7.14 that we've already read reads like this, Behold, a young woman shall conceive. Notice the difference from what we showed you earlier where the King James Version says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Now, I understand that Mary was a young woman. That's not a lie. But the prophet is saying a virgin is going to conceive. What is the miraculous prophecy if you just say, I mean, I could prophesy, hey, there's a young woman that's going to conceive in the future. You know what? We can go down to the maternity part of the hospital and somebody's going to give birth probably today, and, and I'm going to say, huh, I'm a prophet. I prophesied that. And, and you're going to go, duh. What's the big deal with that? Well, but what Isaiah prophesied was indeed a big deal because he's saying this is going to be supernatural, miraculous. A virgin is going to conceive and bear a child, whereas and, and, and listen, this is the reality of it. 
The King James Version also says in Luke 2.33, watch this, folks. The King James says, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Notice it says Joseph, names him by name, and then refers to Mary as his mother, the mother of Jesus. Notice what the New International Version and the American Standard Version and many, many others read like this, Luke 2.33, and his father and his mother were marveling at the things which were spoken concerning him. They change Joseph and those Bible versions called Joseph the father of Jesus Christ. Now, the, the very, very popular ESV, English Standard Version, I know probably the majority of the younger generation, uh, like the ESV, it says also, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And so, yes, uh, we're not straining at gnats. We are not trying to split hairs and be divisive. Uh, we believe in the authority and the authenticity and the purity of the very words of God. And when you start changing those things, one can't be right. Uh, they can't both be right. One has to be right and the other has to be wrong. And even though other versions certainly contain truth, uh, all it takes is just chipping away at the foundation just a little here and a little there. And if you follow Christianity and what has happened since all of these Bible versions started gaining prominence and have become the mainstream in Christianity today, you find that the technicalities of doctrines just don't seem to have much significance. Now, because of COVID, if you look in front of you in your pew, you're not going to see our hymnals. And it's only because of COVID. Uh, the songs that we've been singing are out of either that hymnal or a similar type hymnal. You'll notice if you look at the traditional Christian hymnals, you'll notice that many of the songs are so much different than modern Christian songs are today. Uh, some people will read those and go, well, I don't understand what that's saying. In fact, many of the old hymns contain words that people don't commonly use, just like the King James Version has words that are not commonly used. But I submit to you here this morning that those words have technical meanings. And those meanings are very, very rich. And it doesn't take a whole lot of complication, especially nowadays with Google, to pause in our Bible reading and do a Google search on a word that we don't know what it means and find out the richness of that meaning and then go back to the text and go, wow, that really does mean something. And the same thing applies to the old hymns. They are chock full of technical doctrines that are rich and meaningful. And you know what? What's happened is modern culture has taken and started just little by little watering down the Bible. And what has followed suit is we find a watering down of the Christian music, the hymns and so forth. And that's exactly what's happened. 
And once again, I'm not trying to be hateful or critical. I'm trying to help you here this morning because Christmas has meaning and it's rich meaning. And the more and more that we water it down in today's culture, then each passing generation, if the Lord tarries, we're going to find that they don't have watered down Christianity. They have almost pure water with a little bit of drop of Christianity, just maybe to color it a little bit, but there's no substance. There's no nourishment. It's become something that's man-centered rather than God-centered. Listen, folks, questioning the virgin birth is reasonable. Wouldn't you agree? That's reasonable to question that. But denying it as Christians is heresy. People will say, what's the big deal? Well, pray tell, if the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is not a big deal, then what is a big deal? Certainly as believers, we ought to look at things that have to do with our Savior and who He is and was and what He did for us. And and, and I mean the authority and the purity and the truth of it. It ought to mean something to us. I know believers that, I mean, they would fight you if you even even insinuated on slandering their mom or dad or their grandpa or grandma. They, I mean, they'd fight you at the drop of a hat if you said something about their family member that was just a little bit off. They'd correct you in a heartbeat. But the same people put up with it. Every single day or every time they go to church or every time they open up their book and read their Bible. And folks, that's just not, that's not fair and it's not just the way that too many people treat our Savior Jesus Christ today. We ought to be passionate about the truth of Jesus Christ. Thomas and Thomas Jefferson, he cut out the parts that he didn't accept. Today, wouldn't you agree that cutting out parts of the Bible that you don't agree with is probably pretty much unnecessary? Why is it unnecessary? Because Satan has succeeded in casting doubt and neutralizing the effect of God's Word. I mean, I I grew up with this, folks. I, I didn't grow up believing that this was a pure Bible. Now, thank God, I I grew up with a King James Bible. That's the Bible that my parents gave me, and that's what I had, and that's what I read. And I did, as a, as a young person, I did the same thing that many others do. I, I struggled with some of the wording that was unfamiliar to me. I had to become familiar. By the way, in any relationship, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Become familiar with the person we're relating to? You don't go into a relationship and say, okay, here's what I expect out of you, and so you be like I want you to be. No, there's a, I want to get to know you for who you are. So what's wrong with the words of God being a little bit different than what we're used to? I would rather, I would rather smarten myself up rather than dumb down God, amen? And so Satan, you know, I I grew up with preachers that when they teach the Bible, they come across a text and they would say, well, this is what this version says, and this is what this version says, 
and this is what this Bible version says, and I like the way that this one reads. Now, that sounds fairly harmless. In fact, some of those same preachers sounded very educated and intelligent. They go to the Greek thesaurus and they tell you this Greek word means this. Or and, and there's some great men of God that I have heard myself on numerous occasions saying this should have been translated thus. And it all sounds very intellectually stimulating. And we take that that minister and we think, wow, they know all of this and it's so impressive. But subtly the devil has used that just to cast little questions and little doubts, just like he did at the beginning when he said to Eve, Yea, hath God said? And so it has instilled this mentality among believers that I have a choice in the matter and I can go with whatever Bible version that I like the way that it says. And so what happens is Christians end up judging the Word of God rather than allowing the Word of God to judge us. And so Satan has chipped away at that that viewpoint of the purity and, and authority of God's Word to the point that, once again, nowadays we don't have to do like Thomas Jefferson and cut the parts out that we don't like. We can just easily ignore them because that's what the ministers do from the pulpit. Anything that's inconvenient to our beliefs or our lifestyle, then we just don't even worry about it because, after all, what's the big deal? Sadly, Satan used Bible preachers and teachers to instill that attitude. But the fact still remains is that Jesus was born of a virgin and that the Christmas story and the meaning of Christmas declares the divine nature of Jesus Christ. Secondly, this morning, the true meaning of Christmas, we see it through his descriptive names. In verse number 21 of our text, we see that his name shall be called Jesus. Now, the printing of my Bible, it's capital J, capital E, capital S, capital U, and capital S. That stands out. Now, in modern, we have, we have computers today, word processors, and we have various ways of highlighting different things. We can actually highlight it with a color. We can underline it. We can italicize it. I mean, we can make uh, one text bigger than the other, but this is the way that they did it in the old days. They just capitalized the whole thing, and I don't know about you, I like that, Amen. I like looking on that page, and the first thing that pops out is the name Jesus. And then also in verse number 23, we see that that uh, his name shall be called, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Names used to mean something. They were descriptive. They were prophetic. They were traditional. You know, most names today, and I'm, please forgive me if I sound critical, I don't mean it critical. Most names of people today usually follow the trends of pop culture. If there's somebody that's famous, whether it's a movie star, a singer, or 
a, a celebrity, then you, you'll find that whoever is the celebrity today, you'll find that there's a lot of boys and babies that end up being born after these celebrity names. And so a lot of times it just follows pop culture and names that are popular during any particular generation. I, I look back and um, do you know how I came this close to my mama naming me Floyd? Now, if you're named Floyd today, that's not any knock on you, but wouldn't we all agree that Floyd is kind of uh, maybe would date the time period when you were around, right? You just don't find many Floyds today unless you watch Andy Griffith and you need a haircut. But I came this close. My, my uncle, I, I barely even knew my uncle, but my, my mom's oldest brother, uh, he was always giving my mom a hard time. I had three older sisters. My youngest sister is five years older than me. And so my dad wanted a son like, you know, many dads do. And so three attempts, actually, my mom also lost a baby um, just a few hours after she was born and then had a stillborn uh, I think her first pregnancy was a stillborn, and it would have been a son. And so having a son was important to my dad. And I, um, I, I guess I was the last-ditch effort. Maybe a mistake. <laughs> Who knows? But anyhow, when my, when my mom was pregnant, she was talking to her older brother. He was giving her a hard time about, you know, if it's a boy, then... Or she said, if it's a boy, I'm going to name him after you. And his name was Floyd. And uh, thank God his middle name was Paul. And so is mine. (laughs) Randall Paul Mitchell, RPM, revolutions per minute. I better slow down here. Who would think of naming their baby girl Jezebel? (laughs) Uh, hey, in the last 75 years, how many Adolfs do you know? Names like Charles Manson, Jeffrey Dahmer, Osama bin Laden, they all have meaning to us because of things that those people do. I, I find it interesting that in today's culture, the name Karen has brought on a whole new meaning. Some of you are smiling and some of you others are like, well, I don't, I don't get it. This is, this is new to me. Hey, this might have been around for five years, but usually I'm a little bit behind, uh, you know, popular things. But anyhow, the, the name Karen, that's all of a sudden, I feel bad for all of the people that are actually named Karen. Most of you don't know that my wife's middle name is Lynn. You know, I looked that up, and it's like, what, what is a Karen? And, you know, I found a lot of different things. It's not any one thing. It just depends on whoever, whoever, whatever somebody's thinking when they call another person Karen. Usually it's someone who's very overbearing. It's the kind of person that you, if you were a server at a restaurant, you wouldn't want to wait on Karen because she'd never be happy with anything. Any Karens? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. Hey, let's move on here. How about little Johnny? You know, little Johnny, the term little Johnny gets picked on um, because, you know, little Johnny's always the mischievous little boy in the classroom or in Sunday school class. 
And uh, I read, you know, it's Christmas time. I read about little Johnny and he got really upset because he didn't get the part of Joseph in the Christmas play. And so um, rather he got the part of the innkeeper. Well, little Johnny's pretty bitter about that. And so in the play, it's a live play, Mary and Joseph show up and... Um, and so little Johnny thought, <laughs> I'm going to ruin the play. And so when they show up wanting a place to stay, little Johnny says, sure, come on in. <laughs> well, fortunately, the boy playing Joseph was quick-witted. And so he, he looked around and he goes, this place is a dump. I'd rather stay in the barn. <laughs> but, you know, names certainly, they, they, they should have meaning. And I think about the names just in our text. We, we see Jesus, which means Savior, and Jesus is our Savior. He is the Savior. You know, the Old Testament version of Jesus is the term Joshua, and certainly Joshua was a Savior to the children of Israel. And, uh, you know, if you, you read there in the book of Hebrews in your King James Bible, you see a reference to Jesus that's actually referring to the Old Testament Joshua. The text makes that clear. The name means something. Emmanuel, God with us. I think that we all ought to take that for granted that Jesus was not just a mere man. If Jesus was just a human and actually the son of Joseph, then when he died on the cross of Calvary, then it would have made good headlines, but it wouldn't save a single one of us from a single sin that we ever committed. So names are important. Proverbs 22, verse number 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Listen, you ought to be more interested in leaving a good name for your children than leaving them a good inheritance. I'm sure they'd probably appreciate both, but if you had to choose between one or the other, the good name is certainly the best choice. In Isaiah 9, verse number 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So when we think about the meaning of Christmas, we can't not think about the descriptive names of Jesus Christ. Number three... We also see his Davidic lineage. Now, if you're not a Bible student and if you're unfamiliar with the Word of God, then I'll explain what that term means, his Davidic lineage. Basically, what we're saying is that Jesus Christ was royal. He's royalty. Look at verse number 20. It says, but while he thought on these things, uh, excuse me here. It says here, uh, thou son of David, in the, the middle of the text here, Joseph was a descendant of David. Jesus came of the lineage of David. If you go back to Bible prophecy, the Lord made a covenant with David, and he said that there is never going to fail a descendant of yours to sit upon the throne of Israel. Now, the scoffers and the mockers would scratch their head and say, wait a minute, there is no king in Israel. I understand that, but there's not a king 
of anyone else's lineage other than David, and there will not be a king over Israel until Revelation 19 when the King of kings and Lord of lords returns. And he's going to sit on the throne of his father David. So praise the Lord. That Davidic lineage speaks of Jesus Christ as a king. You know all of those boring genealogies in the Bible? Chronicles? So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. Say, preacher, that was a little bit sacrilegious, calling them boring. I think everybody thinks that way, do we not? I mean, sometimes you read them and you go, what's the point of all of the begats? Well, let me tell you something. If you were a Jewish person looking for your king, the Messiah, to come, it would be pretty important to you. All of those certainly have meaning. In John 18 and verse number 37, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. This is what Jesus said to a worldly political leader. Yeah, I'm a king. That's the reason I came into this world. The real problem that the world has with Jesus is not nativity scenes on public property and is not with saying Merry Christmas to the cashier. And by the way, I have to say this. I have yet to have anyone this Christmas season not say Merry Christmas back. I haven't heard, maybe COVID has distracted everybody from all the other nonsense. But you know, it hasn't been just a couple years ago that they were all talking about, no, we don't say Merry Christmas because that would offend people that are non-Christians. That's a bunch of hogwash, folks. You know what? I'm not Jewish, but uh, here, I think it's next, maybe it was this week. Tell me Happy Hanukkah. That's not going to offend me or bother me. You know, the same people, the same people that are offended by Merry Christmas have no problem with saying Happy Halloween. You notice the inconsistency. What's being attacked? Christianity's being attacked. Well, we don't want to offend people. We don't want to offend Muslims because they don't believe in Christmas. You know what? Wouldn't you agree that if you said happy Martin Luther King birthday to a KKK member, that they would be offended by that? And you say, well, wait a minute. They're prejudiced and they kill people that don't believe like them. Not all of them, but many of them do, right? Well, aren't Muslims the same way? Why do, why are we falling all over ourselves to keep from offending them? The fact of the matter is, is it's a free country. And we've been saying Merry Christmas and in God we trust from day one. And just, you know, I, I speak as not just a preacher, but I speak as a man, as an American. If they don't like it, 
go somewhere where you won't have to worry about being offended. And you know what? If I ever visit your country, then I'll accept the fact that, you know what? That's what they are. That's what they believe. And so I'm not going to be offended or want them to change to accommodate me. The fact of the matter is, is the whole world is flocking to come here because of what we have, and then they reject what produced what we have. They're a bunch of leeches is what they are. All right, I'll move on. The real problem is not nativity scenes on public property. The real problem is that Jesus was born a king. Most Christians today treat Jesus the same way that the city of Keilah did in the Old Testament. If you go back to the book of First um, Kings, you find that David, excuse me, Second Samuel, David is fleeing from King Saul. He comes across this city of Keilah that is being attacked and sieged by the Philistines. And so David inquires of the Lord, should I rescue Keilah? And the Lord says, yeah, go and rescue them. So he rescues them and all of his, him and his band of soldiers, they defeat the Philistines and then they go inside the walls of the city and uh, then they hear that Saul is coming around, the king, and he's pursuing David. And so David inquires of the Lord and says, will they deliver me over to Saul? And you know what God said? Yep, they'll deliver you into Saul's hand. And you think about that whole concept. And what you have here is the men of Keilah, David was their savior, but Saul was their king. And whoever is king is going to take precedence, no matter how much good that anyone has done for anyone, no matter how much saving or giving or blessing, whoever is a person's king, that's who they're going to obey. And modern Christianity today loves to have Jesus as Savior, but they're quite remiss in having him as their king. I want him to save me. I want to go to heaven, but I certainly don't want him to interfere the way that I want to live my life. And so that's what's very, very common. And that's the problem that the world has with Jesus Uh, They're okay with him, a little baby in a manger, but they don't like the idea that he is king and that one day he will come back. And folks, he is coming back. Not as a little baby lamb in a manger. He's coming back as a roaring lion in vengeance, his eyes as a flame of fire. You can read about it in Revelation 19. And I like what one bumper sticker said, Jesus is coming back and boy, is he mad. You say, well, that doesn't sound very... Well, read read the book, folks. He's coming back, and uh, it's going to be ugly for everyone that has hated and rejected him and his word. And then my fourth point here this morning is I see the meaning of Christmas is the deliverance of fallen man. We are fallen, folks. No matter how much the modern preachers try to tell you how wonderful you are, no matter how much the universities and the school systems try to build up your self-esteem, the fact of the matter is we are a fallen people. Notice in verse 21 of our text, He shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people 
from their sins. Doctrinally speaking, his people in this passage is referring to the Jewish people. I read in John 1 and verse number 11, it says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And so Jesus came to save his people from his sins. That was his primary purpose. He came to the nation of Israel. He told the Canaanitish woman who asked of a miracle, and he said, it's not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Now, she could have been offended like people would be in woke culture today, and she could have reported Jesus, and Jesus could have been canceled. But instead, she said, truth, Lord, I'm just a dog. I know it. I acknowledge it. But the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall from the master's table. I would to God that we had more of that humility and that attitude among people today. God, I don't deserve anything from you. Just please, I'd love to have a crumb. And that's the attitude that, that causes us to receive blessings from God. When we come to him and say, God, you show yourself to me. You're not fair. You're not just if you don't give me what I want. You know what the Lord does? He does nothing. He will not be manipulated. He will not be held hostage. He is God. And we're his creation. And we need to always remember that. Jesus is king, but he came as savior to deliver fallen man. You say, wait a minute, preacher. You said he came to save the Jew. So what does this have to do with me? I'm not Jewish. That's a great question. I'd like to answer it right now. In John 1 verse number 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The rest of the world gets the consolation prize. Now, nobody competing in anything says, oh, I, I hope I get the consolation prize. No, we don't want that. We want the gold medal, right? But I tell you what, God's consolation prize means eternal life, eternal joy, eternal blessings. You couldn't ask for anything better. Thank God, God opened up his salvation to the entire human race when the Jews rejected Jesus as their Messiah. Now, praise the Lord. Romans 11 says the Jews are going to come to their senses in the tribulation period, and they're going to realize that they crucified their Messiah. They're going to repent, and they're going to receive him. And that's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time for planet Earth. But thank God for the but as many. I'm thankful to be one of the but as many who received Jesus Christ, the deliverance of fallen man. In conclusion, folks, we can talk about what Christmas means, but what matters is what does Christmas mean to you? For you to experience the true meaning of Christmas, you must first face the true meaning of your sin. He came to save his people from their sins. When God opened up salvation to us Gentiles, it's the same truth. He came to save us from our sin. Take your Bibles and go to John chapter number three, and I'll close here in just a moment. You know, people don't like to entertain this concept of sin. Today, 
Nobody's a sinner. People are just faulty. People have a bad day. People, um, people make mistakes. But the fact of the matter is, is when we disobey God and His authority, it is sin. And sin's not a good thing. It's a great word, by the way. You say, when I think about sin, it just makes me feel guilty and dirty, and I don't feel good about myself. Guess what? That's the best thing that ever happened to you. Because you will never, ever go to the doctor, the physician, to get diagnosed with your life-threatening problem until you're aware that you have it. Too many times people get diagnosed too late. And certainly too many people today wait till it's too late to acknowledge that they have a sin problem and that that sin problem is a problem with our Creator. John chapter number 3, verse number 17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Preacher, what do I need to do? Uh, What would I have to do in order to go to hell? Nothing. That's all you got to do. Just don't do anything. You came into this world, and as sinners, we, we sin because of our nature. Our sin doesn't make us sinners. The fact that we're sinners makes us sin. And so if you, if you want to go to hell, just don't do anything. You'll get there eventually. So what we need to understand the meaning that we're already on our way to, we're already condemned and on our way to hell. What we need is a savior to rescue us from our sin, not just the consequences of our sin, but the entire nature of our sin. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. You know what? If you get in my face and you tell me that I'm a sinner, that's not going to bother me at all. Because I've already come face to face with that fact. If you tell me that God is, that, that God is holy and he's going to judge sin, it's not going to bother me at all. I've already spiritually looked in the mirror and saw myself for who I really am and accepted it and acknowledged that, you know what, the way that God sees me is true. The way I've been seeing me has been deceptive. My heart has deceived me. I'm thinking, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I do good. I've never really, I've never really harmed anybody. I've never killed anybody. I, I haven't done this and I haven't done that. I'm a pretty good person. But when we start looking at ourselves the way that God sees us, we come face to face and it's like, I'm horrible. You know, I've told people before, you know, the Bible says that you're a sinner. Oh yeah, yeah, everybody is. 
You know, for us to receive our Savior, it's not, I, I don't believe it's enough to just say, yeah, everybody's a sinner. It's got to be personal. We, we don't just say, well, yeah, nobody's perfect, so I'm just as good as everybody else. No, we've got to just look at the fact. Paul said that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul recognized that he was the chief of sinners. And let me tell you something. There have been plenty of men that did, did way worse than Paul. But what, what was Paul saying? Paul's saying, I've faced the reality. When we face the reality and we take God's side against us, it, it, that's basically what repentance is all about. God, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm taking your side against me. And when we finally accept that reality, and it is reality, then and only then can we see the value of what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary, that, you know what, he did that for me. What he went through is what I deserved in the eyes of a holy God, but Jesus did it for me. Let me tell you something, if that doesn't tug at your heart or melt your heart or do something for you, then you got, you got some problems there. Something's missing because we certainly didn't deserve what Jesus did for us. There are many kinds of sinners. There's good ones. There's bad ones and everything in between. Doesn't matter what kind of sinner that you are. We are sinners. Thankfully, Christ came to die and died for sinners. If we're going to find meaning in Christmas, then um, let, let me say this. To find meaning in Christmas is to find meaning in life. You know, you think about it. Christ Jesus came into this world and he was rejected when he came in. He was rejected when he went out. He's rejected today. The majority of the world has rejected Jesus Christ. But I close with this question. Have you accepted him? Have you accepted him as your savior? Have you accepted him as your king? We sing about it this Christmas season. The king born in a manger. But that's the meaning of Christmas. But what does it mean to you? What does he mean to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the truth of scripture. Thank you for the true meaning of Christmas. I pray, Father, for everyone here today that you would help us and bless us and that you would draw us to you. If anyone here is listening and is without Jesus Christ as their personal savior, I pray that you'd save them before they leave this building today. Help them to come face to face with their sin and the reality of the condemnation that they face from a holy God. Help them to realize that Jesus took their judgment and their punishment upon the cross of Calvary. And if we'll just believe and receive, then we can have eternal life and escape that condemnation. Escape the consequences and result of our sin and our sin nature. Uh, have your will and way. I pray that we would receive you as king today. Let you lead us and guide us and uh, tell us what to do and tell us what not to do as your children. 
May we do it joyfully. Lord, may we do it humbly and thankfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you remain seated with your heads bowed and your eyes closed as the pianist plays? What does Christmas mean to you? What does Jesus mean to you? Is he your Savior? Is he your King? You know, God gave us the greatest Christmas present that we could ever imagine. Human nature is when somebody gives us a gift, we want to give them a gift in return. I I think the best thing that we could give to Jesus in return is our heart and our life. If you've never done that, I'd like to give you an opportunity to do that here today. If you'd like to come down forward to the altar and pray, you're invited to do so. Maybe you'd like to just stay where you're at, with your head bowed, eyes closed, talk to God. I think every single one of us ought to thank God for the gift of Jesus, for the true meaning of Christmas. And we certainly ought to be mindful of that this Christmas season. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's all stand to our feet. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. And uh, don't forget, we are having church on Wednesday. But if I don't get a chance to see you between now and uh, next Saturday, I want to wish everyone, on behalf of me and my family, we'd like to wish you a very Merry Christmas. Trust that you'll have a great time with family and a great time in the Lord. So good to see everyone here this morning. Many of you we haven't seen for a while, and it's always a joy to have you here in church. I'm going to ask for the WB Sharp to close us in prayer. Now, at the exit, we do have the treat bags out there in the foyer. And so, uh, young people, boys and girls, please um, just uh, don't go running through there and knocking anybody over, not for candy, okay? It's just not worth it, right? Yeah, we don't want any injuries because, other than cavities, we don't want any injuries because of what we're doing here today. 
All right, and uh, and so uh, if oh well, I'm being a smarty pants, <laughs> brother, brother Sharp. If you would close us in prayer.